You're listening to WPAI, a podcast about the advancements of AI within WordPress. My name is Moritz Bappert, and I've been building custom WordPress websites for the past 10 years. I'm passionate about product development and excited about the inspiring people I will be interviewing. Join me on my quest to gain a holistic understanding of all the AI developments within the WordPress space. Hey, welcome back. It's a sunny day and I'm happy to release a new episode today. Doing those interviews is lots of fun, but you might not imagine the work involved doing the post-production. It takes quite a bit of time and I'm still figuring out better workflows to get quicker with finishing my podcast episodes. So thanks for staying with me and spreading the word about the podcast. My guest today is David Lockie. He's the Web3 lead at Automatic. In our conversation, you'll learn exactly what Web3 means. We'll talk about what David is working on at Automatic and where we're headed with decentralized blockchain technologies like cryptocurrencies coming together with AI. But it's not all just tech talk. We're talking about ethical implications as well. And David brings in his background as a zoologist when talking about the similarities and evolutionary patterns between nature and the evolving AI models. Here's a thought-provoking quote by David, taken from our conversation. This could be the last year where the internet is recognizable to people that know it in its current form. It doesn't take long for AI agents and AI content and everything else to just absolutely dominate and change everything. Let's dive right into our conversation. Hi, David. Thanks for joining me in the WPAI podcast. Hi, Moritz. Pleased to be here. Thanks for the invitation. You're titled Web3 Lead at Automatic. So some might wonder, what does that term Web3 actually mean? Can you briefly explain that to our listeners? Yeah, sure. That's a fair question. So it is customary, I understand, at Automatic that you can pick your job title. And that was the one that fit what I uh, was and am hoping to do in the business the best. So Web3 is a family of technologies that have emerged from cryptocurrency and blockchain, uh, but now incorporate adjacent technologies as well. I, I guess like the common theme is decentralization. So how mm -hmm. can you build uh, trustless, public, open cryptographic systems that let people do stuff, whether that is to have identities or to communicate or to conduct financial transactions. Uh, all through native internet technologies rather than through a centralized institution, whether that be a private or public one. Are there any specific examples nowadays that already built upon Web3 technologies? In general, there is loads going on in the space, for sure. Um, generally, you have to go through a centralized organization, like a business, to buy cryptocurrency. So you might use a, a Coinbase or a Kraken or somebody like that. But once you have that, then you can do pretty much everything else uh, without ever needing to go back to a central authority. But there is still a lot of Web3 infrastructure that does still rely on centralized parties. So I'm not going to get into the nuance there too much of what runs on AWS or Google Cloud and which sort of centralized companies control critical parts of Web3 infrastructure like RPCs and everything else. But generally speaking, Once you've got cryptocurrency, let's say Ethereum on chain, then you can do a bunch of things with that. So you can buy yourself mm. an ENS name, which is a little bit like Gravatar for Web3. So you can say, this is my username.eth. 
you can send that cryptocurrency to anyone else with a cryptocurrency wallet. And you can do that wherever they are in the world at any time and in any amount. You can trade your Ethereum for any other cryptocurrency where you can find an exchange that supports those. And those are through decentralized exchanges as well as your Coinbase and your Krakens. So examples of decentralized exchanges would be like Uniswap or Orbiter Finance or something like that. So you can take your money and change it and you could change it into a new cryptocurrency or you could change it into a stable coin. So something that represents a dollar. So that's really useful for people that want to trade with crypto. You can also buy stuff. There are a bunch of merchants all around the world who will accept cryptocurrency for standard goods. So you can pay for a VPN or hosting or gift cards or generally travel, premium, luxury, high-end good. Anything from a Lamborghini to a Rolex to a private jet to a nice hotel. Generally, you're going to find something that will take your Bitcoin or Ethereum uh, in payment for that. But you can also then buy digitally native goods. So that's going to be things like NFTs. So you can go to an NFT marketplace and you can buy something that you think is cool for whatever reason, mm. because you like the community or you like the artwork or a combination of both. And then from there, there are just a myriad paths that you can go down, whether it's financial, whether it's community, whether it is content creation. And I guess this last year, I've seen a lot of activity around what I'll call social fi, decentralized social networks. So, so things like mirror.xyz or lens protocol where you can not only have your own profile, but you can connect with other people, you can post content and all of that is done on chain. So yes, there is a bunch of stuff happening with Web3. Hopefully that wasn't too long an intro for you. So the main point of Web3 technologies is decentralization. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's the core principle. Otherwise, if you don't think decentralization is important, then crypto is generally a more expensive and complicated way to do most things. Nice. So can you tell us a little bit about what got you where you are today? Like your position at Automatic, we can talk about that a little later as well. But what's been your history as an entrepreneur or as, as someone doing business and, and specializing to what <laughs> you are now? Thank you. Yeah. So I guess I'm quite old. It's worth saying that. I'm mid 40s. I've been in the WordPress space since sort of 2006 was probably when I first installed WordPress. So I was working at an internet startup with some friends at a university. I was building static HTML sites for friends and family to earn some money on the side, having learned how to do HTML through my job. And I suddenly realized that templating would be really useful rather than having to edit like nine different HTML files every time you wanted to update your header or footer. And so I had to go from this sort of relatively simple, like raw HTML approach to needing a server and needing a kind of a server-side programming language. And honestly, at that time with my kind of brute force approach to programming, WordPress was the only thing that I could get up and running on my, on my Windows laptop. And so I started then building WordPress sites for friends and family outside of my job. And then I realized I could probably just do it as a full-time job. So I did that and I freelanced for two years or so, got pretty busy. In fact, busy enough that I decided that I should start an agency and employ some people to help me because I was doing a lot of hours and it was all just getting a bit too much. And I also had this uh, entrepreneurial 
WordPress idea as well, which I did in parallel, which is probably another story, but it was like big data for WordPress Mm -hmm. eventually fizzled out. So then I turned all my energy back to the agency after a couple of years of doing two things. And the agency then started to grow quite rapidly. And we ended up being about 65 people by, I guess that would have been like 2017. So pretty big, doing some really interesting work for global brands like Bacardi and Sage. And yeah, and then COVID hit and we were, I guess, badly positioned as an agency in a bunch of different ways. And I decided that was a good time to stop doing agency. I went to work for the business that bought Pragmatic. That was my agency for about 18 Mm. months. And after that, joined Automatic, having realized that I loved WordPress, but I was also deeply compelled by crypto. Let let me just give you the crypto origin story as well, very quickly. So I walked into the office one day and one of our devs, a guy called Nick Fushadi. Hi, Nick, if you're listening, thank you for this morning's incident that I'm about to recount. So he was in before me and he had uh, something that looked like New Relic up on the screen, like an APM, graphs and activity happening. I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Which client is that for? And he's like, oh, no, no, this is is my ETH miner at home. And I was like, you're what? And he explained he was mining Ethereum on a box back home and he was just monitoring it from his workstation. And suddenly it just clicked for me. I mean, I'd heard of Bitcoin, I'd kind of heard of Ethereum, but it was really that juxtaposition of seeing something that looked very familiar to what I knew, this like APM style interface with money. And at that point, I think I just realized very quickly that internet native money made sense. And that this talk I'd heard about Bitcoin and Ethereum, it hadn't gone away. I'd been monitoring it in my subconscious and it wasn't going anywhere. And so Nick very kindly taught me basics and I just went down a super deep rabbit hole from there and just haven't emerged since. Nice. <laughs> cool story. At Automatic, what are you currently working on or what does Automatic envision? What kind of role to play inside the Web3 space? Yeah, that's a good question. So what we've done so far is welcome some crypto payment processing partners onto the WooCommerce.com marketplace. So my home team is the payment partnerships team within WooCommerce. So we look after our relationships with Stripe, PayPal, all of the payment processes you'd use on a day-to-day basis. We, until I joined, did not have any crypto payment options on the marketplace. There were folks who wanted to partner with us and certainly our competitor platforms did offer those options. So um, luckily I wanted to join Automatic and Automatic needed a Dave-shaped person to come and handle at least those initial relationships. And so that was a very happy coincidence. So that was really the first job. So payments is, I guess, the original use case for crypto. The Bitcoin white paper is about peer-to-peer cash. So it's how can people send money directly to each other over the internet without recourse to a third party or an institution. And so payments is the most mature and most proven out use case for anything within Web3. And that's where we decided it made the most sense to start as well. Also for lots of logistical reasons, you know, the companies that offering payment services, we have business models that already work. We can sign a, a contract with a corporation. Mm. A bunch of projects in Web3 are actually protocols and they don't have a legal entity that would make partnership work in such an easy way. And they don't have monetization that 
fit in with an existing model for automatic. So those things would have all been harder as well as less proven out use cases. So that was in 2022. And as we, as you may know, 2022 turned out to be a bit of a troubling year for crypto. We had a bunch of different blowups and I guess the, the cherry on the cake was the FTX collapse. Mm. That was actually the week that we were intending to launch crypto payment processing partners onto the marketplace. So we pulled that for a couple of weeks, but fortunately none of the partners were affected, which was good. And I think it speaks to the careful way in which we were approaching the space. So we want to be very responsible with this. Like there's a big learning gap with crypto and there are lots of opportunities for people to undereducate themselves and end up confused or even worse, losing out financially. So we wanted to make sure that these were the right partners and this was the right first small step into the space. So yeah, that happened. And honestly, since then, we've been doing a lot of waiting and seeing. I've been working on some non-Web3 stuff. So I've been working a little bit on AI and emergent disruptive technologies more generally, but also just some internal program type stuff, more traditional just work that needs to be done. Stuff which I think because of my long history of WordPress and WooCommerce and my agency background, I'm quite well suited to help with. In the meantime, still watching what's happening in the market, which at the moment is lots of potential, very little in the way of new breakout signal as to what might be massive. If we assume that crypto is going to go through another cycle in the next couple of years, what's the narrative going to be there? We are working on additional partnerships for crypto payment processing. So where we see there's a gap or just a great experience, and we think that's going to be beneficial to Woo merchants, we want to bring those partners on board. We're also really interested in NFTs. I think that that's a really fantastic opportunity for all creators online, whether you think of yourself as a traditional merchant or like you, where it's, you know, producing this podcast, ideally at some point you'd like to get paid for that or to make a living if this is something you enjoy. And NFTs are a way to do those sorts of things. So the principle that I'm trying to live by at the moment is, and this applies to both the Web3 work that I'm doing, but also just generally about my work at Woz. Does this help people make a living online or not? And I think NFTs really do. And I say living carefully rather than making money because making a living is about feeling secure, about putting food on your family's table in six months time or a year's time. We live in a world where technology is changing very quickly and it's being very disruptive and it feels like there aren't many safe harbors. You know, you, mm. I, I don't speak to many people who are like, oh, my job is definitely going to exist in this form in five years time. So I think giving people new, interesting ways to spend time online, create value for people, and then accrue some of that value back is a really good principle. And I think NFTs are the closest that we've got as a way to do that, which is truly free. It's not bound up with a Patreon or a Substack. You can't get deplatformed if some crazy billionaire dude takes over your social media platform. You can't get rate throttled by Meta if they want to take a larger slice of your pie. You know, there's all this stuff which I think ultimately holds back the vibrancy and richness and freedoms that people need as we increasingly spend more and more of our lives online. So um, mm. nothing firm to announce there, but I do think that it makes sense to enable creators, which is like anyone that uses WordPress, WooCommerce, Tumblr, Pocket Cast, et cetera, to experiment with new ways to make money there, make a living. Yeah, I really see people longing for owning their own data and 
like really uh, being more in control about their social media that they are using and so forth, especially with all the things we see happening right now with Twitter as just one example. Does the term Web3 also include the open web? As you said, Web3 is a lot about the protocols. And as much as I understood the open web as well, it's also about decentralization and the protocols to communicate. Yeah, good question. So yes and no. So I don't think Web3 is necessarily anything sort of brand new. It's more like an evolution of the way the web has always been. You know, the web is a decentralized, like TCP IP is an open protocol, email is an open protocol. There is an HTTP code for payment required. There's just never been like a very good way for internet native payments to be made. And so as we've seen the huge success of open source through projects like Linux and obviously WordPress and WooCommerce and Apache and a whole bunch of things that we just rely on in our society and a lot of us for our living, this is just the next evolution of that where we take I guess that implicit value and start making it explicit with tokens. And I don't think that's necessarily always good. And I don't think that it's going to be without its issues, but I do think it's inevitable as well. And so whether Web3 ever looks back to some of these earlier protocols and projects and disrupts them or whether they carry on as they are and Web3 is just this whole new kind of cohort of projects and protocols where the monetization value accrual is built as part of that open protocol. I don't know for sure. I suspect that inevitably there will be, like all things will be true. There will be some puritanical projects that just stay open source and for the good of the community. And that over time, as the Web3 Pioneer projects start proving out what works really well and what doesn't, then they're going to see some good positive feedback loops and those playbooks will then get adopted by traditional open source projects as they look to become sustainable long-term or figure out how they can accomplish their mission in a better way. Hmm. Just to call back to your question, a couple of questions ago about what are we up to at Automatic. I'm the only person who's full-time on this, but there's a bunch of very talented people, many of whom have been uh, in crypto and in Web3 well before I joined and uh, in many cases, even before I knew really what Ethereum was. Like any technology business, there's a bunch of interesting ideas floating around. Part of what I hope to do is to figure out how all of these different emergent trends, so whether it's decentralized identity, you know, we run Gravatar, we run Jetpack, we run WordPress.com ID, we have existing identity assets. Is there a place for those assets to integrate with Web3 in some ways? Is that helpful to people? Does it help people make a living online? You know, we run Tumblr. Is there a way that we can help creators on Tumblr to make a living online? If you are an automatic customer and you have a Woo store, but you also publish podcasts through Pocket Casts, at the moment, I don't think there's a seamless way to give personalized or segmented gated experiences across those different platforms in a seamless way. Web3 kind of lets you do that because you can mm. personalize or segment based on somebody's wallet or the contents of the wallet. So there are a bunch of interesting fundamental ways in which Web3 disrupts nearly all the businesses that we run, all the business units that we run, and trying to figure out what are the gradual things that we can expect to see, what's the slow motion disruption, and how do we respond and get ahead of that stuff, but also where might the next explosive trend be 
that would be great for us to be in a position to profit from. So if the next cycle is going to be dominated by Socialify and content creators are going to, this is my current pet theory, you know, you're going to wake up one morning with a great idea. You're going to use AI to manifest that, whatever it is, whether it's a picture or video or some music, you'll be able to create amazing content much faster than before. Perhaps then you push that out to your Web3 social network at lunchtime. And because Web3 Social can have all this explicit financial scaffolding in place as well, you can imagine somebody's going to come up, up with a clever multi-level marketing or affiliate marketing, or like you get paid to retweet, or if your followers push to their followers and you make sales off the back of that, then you also accrue some of the value along the way. So I think you might well end up with these sort of quite explosively emergent memes. And the person that woke up with that great idea goes to bed and they've got like a million bucks in their bank account. And I think that's quite a compelling story because people will then care enough, I think, to learn the, the nuances of Web3 tools as they also get easier. And people are just getting more used to relying on more social networks as Twitter's kind of driving itself into a wall. At least in some ways, I don't know whether we go back to single massive social networks or we continue on this trend of there's just more social networks and more private communities online and, and people just disperse a little bit. But yeah, I think something like that, mixing in, how do you make money? How do you leverage social network effects is pretty compelling. You know, how we get from where we are now as a business to being able to participate in that, I think is that's the work. And I'm not saying like, don't take any of that as, oh, this is what automatic's working on. It's not, I'm just talking through trying to shine a light on the different challenges that present to us as a big web two business that has a lot of responsibility for a lot of people's livelihoods as it is at the moment. How do we bridge from there, you know, up to what the status quo might be in two, three, five years, mm. because we're here for a mission. Our mission is freedoms to give people freedoms online and we make money to make more movies as Walt Disney said. So we need to make sure that we are responding to the broader context of the web and building for the creators of tomorrow as well as the creators of today and building the right things at the right time for the right people and doing so in a responsible and fun way is the challenge. We don't want to have too much resource into building something and it was the wrong bed or it's too early or it's badly executed. And when there's no clear kind of breakout narrative, which is what happens during a bear market, then it's hard to make those sorts of bets. And I think the best you can do is to have good hygiene and to maintain a good posture and where you start to see a bit of movement, lean into that a little bit and just make sure that we're learning through participation. You know, we're talking to people in the Web3 space. We're thinking about how our different products and our overall business stand to be impacted. And the same goes for the businesses and livelihoods of our creators. And that's an interesting perspective that you told us about there enabling the creators to come up with ideas or content much quicker than they were before without all the AI technologies. I would be interested in hearing your personal view on all the AI hype. What's the thing that you are personally excited about? Right. Good question. So it feels like we're in with frothy in the market cycle of AI, but I'm not sure that we've even really got started yet. You know, we're sort of six months in and we are just feeling our way around the basics at the moment. If you're using AI, then you're probably using it in a pretty unsophisticated way. And the tools that are out there 
a lot of them are cool, you know, image generation or content generation or triaging support requests, doing better suggestions of related content. All that stuff is like easy mode, but it feels like that's still where a lot of this is with finesse. And don't get me wrong, those things are still absolutely mind-blowing and they are incredible and they're generating loads of value and rightly so, but it's just the start of an absolutely seismic explosion in so many different ways. So I'm a zoologist by degree. And one of the things that I don't see happening yet in a sort of very widely distributed manner is joining these AIs together as modules. So at the moment you go to ChatGPT and if you're smart, you might be using ChatGPT to write a stable diffusion or mid-journey prompt and then you stick that into mid-journey, but it's pretty rudimentary. And the human brain is kind of similar, right? So we have this reptile brain that does thermoregulation and fight and flight and eating and mating and all that kind of like basic, just a four-legged animal trying to survive stuff. And you've got the mammal brain, which is motions. And then you have the human part of the brain, your cerebral cortex, which is the rational thought. And it's not that now we've got the human brain, the other parts don't matter. It is all of those parts of the brain working together that creates behavior and wisdom and the richness of life and intelligence. And the brain isn't one system. It's lots of tightly coupled systems working together. And I think maybe that is the way that AI evolves. So sometimes you have just in biological evolution, you have a cell and it mutates over many generations. And then it's like a slightly different cell. That's how speciation often happens. In fact, you also then get these events Then Mark Gullish, she wrote this book and the theory was that like one day, one cell came along and it ate another cell, but it didn't kill the other cell. The other cell just ended up living within that cell. And then you've got like a much richer organism because it can both produce energy from sunlight and it can move, for example. And so maybe that's how AIs work because it's not just GPT-5 and GPT-6, but it's the intersection of lots of different AI tools together to create these complex systems that really phase changes what people can do. So I think when we get through to AI agents that can conduct their whole orchestra, their whole entourage of sub-agents or peer agents in search of fulfillment of whatever directive or mission they think they're trying to do, then I think that's when we go from this current paradigm through to something that is just unrecognizable. This could be the last year where the internet is recognizable to people that know it in its current form. It doesn't take long for AI agents and AI content and everything else to just absolutely dominate and change everything. So I'm not saying that with any value laden into it. Maybe that's great. Maybe it's really awful, but I do think that there's so much more change to come. Cool. So at the intersection of AI and Web3, what do you see there? Is there even an intersection? Where do they come together? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And I think, yes, all technology is convergent because of the internet. So if you have intelligences on the internet, then at some point they're going to want to do financial transactions. And the current banking system, the current non-crypto financial institutions aren't set up to do that. GPT can't go and get a bank account. 
<laughs> not yet. No, not yet. I mean, it could probably fall, <laughs> probably get quite close, but ultimately it won't have government issued ID. It can't do like a video call, etc. yet. I mean, maybe GPT-6 it will, but it can already control an Ethereum address. It can take native internet money and go and do stuff online. And there's some pretty crazy experiments of people giving GPT control over existing investment accounts or crypto accounts and asking it to go and make trades and make investments and make money. So I think that's one way in which there's an intersection is that intelligence will need financial tooling. And I think crypto and probably specifically Ethereum is going to be the most useful for it at the moment. I think there are other interesting intersections as well. So AI and Web3 aren't the only disruptive technologies around at the moment. Obviously, Apple's vision was pretty mind-blowing earlier this year. I think we start to see more immersive experiences come out quite quickly after that ships. I think it will do pretty well. So if you take like a five-year time horizon, then I can easily imagine that a lot of people are accessing the web through this immersive experience a lot of the time whether it's just because movies are so much better, the media experience is so much better, or because work can be so much more productive. And when we think about how do you take the existing content, the web, and transform it for more immersive experiences, I mean, yeah, okay, the like step one is you put a virtual screen inside your vision so you can look at a bigger screen than it is wherever you look. But that feels kind of rudimentary as well. It doesn't feel like we are making the most of that medium just to recreate a screen that's mm. outside. So how do we get all of this content that's been created, you know, the sum total of human creation to date and transform it into 3D or immersive experiences? I think you need AI to do that at scale in a personalized way. And that's a really interesting opportunity for creating new experiences. But then how do you monetize these new experiences that will be so different from the old ones. Yeah, maybe it's through existing fiat payment processes, but the trend seems to be that everything is more global, more real time, and just more digital. And so just the basic principle that there is internet native money that can be programmed, it's fast, and it's cheap to make transactions. There's a very good chance that those experiences will be paid for using crypto by at least a significant proportion of people because they may well have also earned their money in crypto because they are also creating experiences or contributing as well. So you can imagine you might go about your daily existence, contributing here and there, and in the evening you spend your tokens on watching a movie or something like that. I mean, that's a slightly dystopian <laughs> paycheck to daily paycheck to daily paycheck vision of it. But just in terms of thinking about this is less like you get a bunch of money from somewhere and then that lasts you a month and you spend it in these ways. I think the future of finance is much more fluid and that you're earning money from different places and you're spending it in different places and you've probably got an AI agent that is doing some of that stuff on your behalf as well. So you give your browser a monthly budget and it bypasses these paywalls and makes these donations, etc. I really hope one thing that happens is that we start to see a bit of a, a decline in the mental load that is on people, technology and the internet, like everything is just, it moves it such a pace, people are kind of overloaded and we see that manifest in lots of different ways. And at the moment, it's quite asymmetrical, right? We now finally have some of these AI tools that can help us in our daily lives, but until this year, really, it's all been 
you know, the corporations have the AIs and they can use them to make our experiences better day to day. We don't have an AI agent is acting on our behalf and making sure all the bills are paid and the insurances are up to date and all this sort of general life admin and hygiene stuff, let alone all of the filtering out of like what you're actually going to be interested in from this Twitter timeline or across your different social networks or what's this thing you should really be paying attention to that's really aligned with your values or your interests or is an important life event that you just haven't seen yet. We don't really have those yet. Like I don't feel like I've got an AI Dave that has got my back and is helping me out every hour. So that's one of my hopes is that we get to that point where I've got an AI that I can trust and it just makes my life easier and better. That would be great. But I think this comes down to something that I think people get wrong about AI, which is that they imagine that there is a fixed amount of work to do in the world. And that if AI is doing it, then what will be left for the people to do? And I think that's mm. just a fundamentally wrong view to have. When I look around at me now compared to me before I had a smartphone, I am maybe a hundred X more productive and efficient with my life. Like, have I got mm. less to do? Is there less work to do? <laughs> like, no. Uh, so we are already augmented and yet there continues to be many, many important things that we need to achieve in the world, whether it's like environmental, whether it's social, whether it's science, whatever it is, there's always going to be incredible new stuff to do and important work to do. And so I, I try not to be, whenever I'm feeling a bit anxious about like, oh my goodness, will my job be disrupted in a year or two? Well, yeah, if I tip my bum and don't do anything, then probably, <laughs> but that's, I'm lucky that's not my nature. You know, I love exploring. I love innovating. I love finding new stuff, new solutions, creating new value finding new work to do in some ways, I guess, as well. Interesting. So we've touched upon lots of exciting future visions with all the AI technologies, but of course also some of the, the threats or problems that are going to come up. To wrap up our interesting conversation, what advice could you give to all the makers out there trying to get their foot in the door, building products in the AI space? Like what's really valuable to build there? What will outlift the current hype cycle? That's a good question. I think focusing on what are fundamental human needs, you know, the need to be with other people, the need to contribute to a higher cause, to express yourself creatively, to put the basics on the table, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy, shelter, food, everything else, you know, don't worry about getting too far away from those basics. If what you're doing is fundamentally helping people to connect or helping people to express themselves creatively or make a living or connect people with uh, ways to satisfy their other needs, then I think that's a pretty good guiding principle. Cool. Thank you very much for the great conversation, Dave. It was great having you. I appreciate the opportunity, Maurice. Be well. Take care. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for listening until the end. Here are the key takeaways from my conversation with David Lockie. Web3 is all about decentralization. Blockchain is one of the key technologies on which most of Web3 is built. David envisions a world where AI agents act on their own, buying, selling and trading in the Web3 space. Through the convergence of AI and Web3, we're starting to see content creators produce and distribute their content faster than ever before, resulting in immediate financial benefits for them. However, David sees AI as still in its early stages with much more sophisticated applications on the horizon. 
To survive the current hype cycle, he urges founders to focus their products and services on basic human needs. These were just a few aspects of the topics discussed. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share this episode with your friends. I'm always happy about your feedback and questions. Simply send me a message on LinkedIn. And please don't hesitate to tell me which topics or guests you'd like to hear in future episodes. Next week, my guest will be James LePage. He's building a startup around an AI tool for WordPress developers. He'll walk us through the steps and difficulties involved in building your own AI solution. Don't forget to subscribe to get notified about the upcoming episodes. Until next time, your host, Moritz Bappert.